Well, for this morning, we are still in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. I told you we'd be here all month. And in fact, I'm going to add to that verse 7 tonight. But the message I've entitled, because we've used up all of his titles now, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And so I want to look at the text as a whole and see God the gift giver. God the gift giver. So please stand with me out of honor to God. Well, don't stand with me. I'm not standing. But stand as I read the scripture. Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Thank you. You may be seated. The first thing I want to look at as we consider Isaiah 9, 6, and 7 is the generosity of God. The generosity of God. People often gauge the value of Christmas gifts by how much they spend on them. So if you spend more on it, it's a more valuable gift. If you spend less on it, it's a less valuable gift. Well, I heard a story of a husband. He was traveling, but he, he knew it was getting close to Christmas time, and so he wanted to buy his wife something. So he goes to the cosmetics counter, and he said, I'd like a bottle of perfume. Well, the lady brings him a bottle of perfume. It's $100. He said, no, that's too expensive. He said, bring me something else. So she brings him another bottle of perfume, and it's $50. He said, no, that's too expensive. So she brings him another one. It's $10. He said, that's too expensive. You don't understand. I want something really, really cheap. So she hands him a mirror and says, look into this. <laughs> the generosity of God. You know, we think about that when we're judging our, the value of our gifts. Well, they got us something, we got to get them something. Or they got our children something expensive, so we got to get their children something expensive. But what did God spend on the gift of his son? Well, first of all, there was culture shock. Think about this. Jesus left the glories of heaven to come live on this earth. But he didn't come live on this earth in some sort of palace or castle or something. He left the glories of heaven to live in the first century, probably a hut with just an average family. Not only did Jesus experience culture shock, but also personal sorrow. In fact, Isaiah 53 and verse 3, speaking of him, says, He is acquainted with sorrow and grief. Think about the physical pain that Jesus suffered, particularly as he was nailed to the cross. And think about the separation that Jesus suffered. While Jesus was on the cross, he shouted, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He was actually quoting Psalm 22, which was written a thousand years before Christ was ever born, and it accurately predicts the crucifixion of Christ. But the reason Jesus cries out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because at that moment, your sins and mine were placed upon him. And God the Father could not stand to look upon a sinful son, and so he turned away. And Jesus, for the first time in all of eternity, felt forsaken of his father. So we might be worried about, did we spend enough on this gift for that person? Or did we spend enough on that gift for their children? But think about the price that God paid to send his son. Culture shock, personal sorrow, separation. Money is irrelevant to God. 
I mean, what price can you put on a perfect relationship with your son? What price can you put on your son's own life? And yet, that's what God did that first Christmas. Now, when God gave his son at Christmas, he knew he would give him at Easter as well. In fact, Easter is really what makes Christmas so special. Death is what gives Christmas meaning. Had the baby in the manger never grown up to die on the cross, there would be no Christmas. Had, had that baby just grown up and live a good life and maybe teach some good things, we would just be celebrating another person's birthday. There's a lot of people that are born on Christmas Day, and he would just be another one of them. But Jesus' birth cannot save us. It is only his death and resurrection. And that's why I say that Easter is what gives Christmas its meaning. I don't know if it's in this hymnal that we currently use, but the old hymnal you guys used to have, there's a song in there. It's called Christmas Has Its Cradle and Easter Has Its Cross. Christmas has its cradle. We call it the manger. Easter has its cross. Easter is what makes Christmas so special. And think about God's gift at Christmas. God's gift is the gift that keeps on giving. Paul in Galatians 4.4 4 writes, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son made of a woman made under the law. It is the gift that keeps on giving. Indeed, each of the benefits that God's gift of His Son gives, they are eternal. For instance, consider our redemption. Hebrews 9.12 says we are redeemed with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. That is an eternal redemption. Or how about adoption? Through adoption, God made us His children. And once you're a child of God, you're always a child of God. We call that eternal security. The adoption that comes from God through Jesus Christ is eternal. And what about His habitation? Meaning that God indwells us with His Holy Spirit. He is with us forever. His habitation with us is eternal. And then what about our inheritance? We have an inheritance that comes through Jesus Christ. That inheritance makes available to us the glories of heaven. And again, that's eternal. And so God's gift is a gift that keeps on giving forever and ever and ever. So we see the generosity of God. But secondly, I want us to look here at the enthusiasm of God. Enthusiasm of God. Again, down in verse 7, it says, The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. The zeal, the enthusiasm, the excitement. Have you ever been excited about giving a gift that you really wanted somebody to get? I mean, you just knew this was the thing. Whether they asked for it or not, you just knew. You wanted, couldn't wait to watch their face as uh, you were so excited that they would open this present. Well, God anticipated the fullness of time Galatians 4.4, he anticipated the fullness of time. He had chosen this date to send his son before creation. And God excitedly prepared for the incarnation. He was excited to give this best gift ever. This Christmas is a little different for me and my family. We don't have any children living at home. And even though our children were older, we still, like we had three girls last year and we were you know, we still had scavenger hunt, did all kind of uh, different things at Christmas. That hasn't happened this year. It's, uh, those girls are all gone. And while my son and his family are here, they knew they'd be traveling. So they already had their Christmas uh, a couple days ago. 
So we're going to open a few presents later, but I'm not excited like I normally am excited for Christmas. But God excitedly prepared for the incarnation. He was excited as Jesus was unwrapped from Mary's body that first Christmas night. He was excited as Mary unwrapped Jesus to show to the shepherds that first Christmas night. God was excited. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. God was not only willing to help us, he was excited to help us in our need. God was excited not only about the birth of Christ, but he was excited about the final consummation. He wanted to bring peace on earth. Remember what the angels announced to the shepherds? Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace. Goodwill towards men. He wanted to bring peace on earth. He wanted justice to reign supreme. And so, yes, he was excited about the birth, but he was excited about what that birth would mean off in the future. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. And Jesus certainly had his father's zeal. Throughout his ministry, giving of himself, teaching and meeting needs, cleansing the temple. You might remember that when Jesus made whips and he cleansed the temple. And it says after that that his disciples remembered that the, that the prophecy had said that the zeal of the Lord would eat him up. And even at the end of his ministry, giving himself completely in death. Jesus shared his father's zeal. And by the way, we are to be zealous as well. We are to be enthusiastic as well. Look what Titus 2.14 says. Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. And so we see the generosity of God. We see the enthusiasm of God. And thirdly, I want us to look at the certainty of God. The prophet declares that the Lord will perform this. The prophet not only tells how it will be accomplished, but the prophet tells of its certainty because who is going to do it? My friends, you can always count on God. You can always count on God. He does what he says he will do. He promised to send his son. He did. He promised to die for our sins. He did. He promised to rise again from the dead. He did. He promised to be with us. He is. He promised to come back again. He will. You can count on God. He always does what he says he's going to do. But keep in mind this little tidbit, and that is that God's timing is not always our timing. In fact, when you think about it, when Isaiah wrote this prophecy, Israel had to wait 800 years for it to come to pass. Now, that's a long time to wait. But the Bible says, in the fullness of time, God sent his son. What does that mean, the fullness of time? That means it was the precise moment. That means it was the prime time. God knew the best time to send his son, and so that's when he sent it. And God knew when the incarnation would make its greatest impact. Why was Jesus sent some 2,000 years ago? First of all, the world was at peace. Something you might remember from history class called the Pax Romana. Uh, the Roman peace lasted 1,000 years. And, and while there were uprisings here and there, overall, the entire known world was at peace. That's a good time to send your son, the Prince of Peace. Secondly, the whole world had a common language, and that common language was Greek. And just about anywhere you went in the entire known world, everybody spoke the same language. That would help when people would share 
the truth of Christ. Not only that, God knew we incarnation would make the greatest impact when the right people to spread the message would be here. People like the Apostle Paul. People like the other apostles. He knew when they would be born. He knew that when they would populate this earth. And so he sent his son at just the right time so that these people would tell others about him. I wonder, what if Jesus came now for the first time? Would the message, would the message spread now like it did then? You said, well, sure, we got TV and we got radio and, and we've got the internet and we've got all this stuff. But how about us as God's people? How faithful are we to spread the message? Paul and Thomas and all those guys, they, Peter, they just took the message and they went. And they told everybody they saw. Why didn't God send his son now, 2,000 years later? Because probably the message wouldn't have spread like it did back then. But there's another reason I believe that God sent his son when he did. Not only when the world was at peace, when the world had a common language, when the right people to spread the message would be there, but when the right people to record the message would be here. You see, after Jesus came and then the apostles came following that, there were faithful men who wrote down in what we call the New Testament, they wrote down the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Acts of the Apostles, and then the Apostle Paul who writes most of the rest of the New Testament. What if Jesus came before or after Paul? What if Jesus came after Peter? What if Jesus came after Luke or Matthew or Mark or John? But see, God knew these men would be here. And he knew they would faithfully record what happened, what Jesus said, what Jesus did. And so God's timing is not always our timing. But know this, his timing is always perfect. And when you think about it, we're still waiting for his physical reign of peace 2,000 years later. We still want Jesus to come back and to rule and reign on this earth. We're still waiting. Now, he's already reigning spiritually in our hearts. And he's given us peace through the Holy Spirit. But he's not on this earth right now, ruling and reigning in peace as the Prince of Peace. As I mentioned last night, the Prince of Peace will rule over this earth at peace from the city of peace, Jerusalem. And while his timing is not our timing, it's always right on time. It's always right on time. And so let us learn with our faith to, first of all, be patient. Remember, Israel had to wait 800 years before this child's son was born. And we're still waiting some 2,000 years later for his rule and reign on this earth. And so let's be patient in our faith. Secondly, let's be confident in our faith. Remember, what God says, he'll do. When he makes a promise, he keeps it. And thirdly, let us be generous with our faith. Let's not just keep it to ourselves. Let's share it with others. Let's be like the Apostle Paul. Let's be like Peter and Thomas and the others. And everywhere we go, as we have opportunity, let us be generous and share Jesus Christ with a lost and dying world because the world into which Jesus was born needed him. And the world into which we were born still needs him desperately. And we can be generous with our faith. While we're being patient, while we're being confident, 
we can be generous and share with others. And so as we conclude our month-long look at Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7, we have seen the generosity of God. How generous He was to send His one and only Son. Did it cost Him anything? It cost Him everything. Then we see the enthusiasm of God. He was excited for that first Christmas. And we see the certainty of God. What God says, He will do. Let us be patient. Let us be confident. Let us be generous with our faith. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that when you give your word, you keep it. Oh, we may have to wait a while, but you keep your word. We thank you again for this Christmas morning, this opportunity to worship you on this day that we have chosen to be your birthday. So we say to Jesus, happy birthday. We say to you, God our Father, thank you for sending your best, your all. And we worship you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.